This episode of the Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast is brought to you by Concordia College. Advance your digital marketing career with the skills necessary to develop and launch effective search, social, and content marketing campaigns. Earn a fully online MS in digital marketing from Concordia College, New York. Your OMCP certification could qualify you for credit towards your degree. Learn more at concordia-ny.edu slash marketing. Never write an ad or promotion that your landing page can't cache. You can see what the top 10 pages are on your website, but should they have been the top 10 pages on your website? Google's solution to this problem, negative SEO and bad links coming into a site, was the disavow tool. Welcome to the OMCP Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast where top authors and industry leaders share authoritative best practices in online marketing. All right, welcome back to the OMCP studio. And with us today is Kevin Ryan, one of the leading strategists for digital media buying and planning, CEO of Motivity Marketing, and author of Taking Down Goliath and hundreds of articles on digital marketing. I'm your host, Michael Stebbins, and today we'll be discussing best practices for programmatic buying. Kevin, welcome to the OMCP Best Practices series. Good day, eh? Thanks for having me. I've got to say, back in the early 2000s or maybe before, you were the go-to expert on media buying and strategy. I know your contributions to the industry, and you've helped out the world's biggest brands and have only grown since then. But before we get started, for those who haven't read your book, read your articles, or heard you speak, tell our audience, who are you and what is it that you do? <laughs> I do as little as possible, um, and uh, I try to make that uh, my, my life. No, I I, uh, I run a small agency, um, and it's the the model is very very simple. Um, I customize every engagement for the client's needs set, so uh, it has no potential to scale at all. Um, and I worked for uh, I spent most of my life in in the agency environment with a, a couple of brief breaks uh, running conference series and things like that. Um, but for the most part, I, I just I, I enjoy doing the work. Um, and I enjoy working with clients. So uh, it's definitely one of those things that um, it, it's very much a, a, a labor of love for me in doing the, uh, the agency work. The book, I think, uh, was something that was in the works for three or four years, and I spent a good solid year uh, on the road uh, doing concept testing another year, uh, trying to sell it to publishers, and most of whom promptly told me to, to put it in the not- uh, shiny place um, in the nicest way possible. Um, but it was intended to be a digital strategy guide and ostensibly it became um, this, the, the, the guide for small businesses. Um, and so I achieved victory in, in, from one perspective in, in creating a strategy book that is, has lasted I think three years now and is still uh, getting good reviews and that sort of thing and not aging because it's not intended to be Here's how to, you know, here are the latest tools to use. That's not what we were going for with the book. It was more along the lines of this is what you should be thinking about in, in uh, selecting tools and how you should approach building a solid strategy. And um, so, you know, I mean, like I said, ostensibly it became the, the, the small business guide or guide for small business, but ultimately uh, it caught a lot of play with, uh, you know, CMOs I know who bought the book not admitting that they were reading the book <laughs> um, because they were looking for uh, ways to really beef up digital strategy. So I, I achieved victory in creating this, this book that has a scalable knowledge set, but 
uh, failed in positioning it correctly because, you know, as you know, the market decides what you are. You don't get to decide what you are. Boy, that's a story of social media as well. But listen, Kevin, you and I share a distaste for stock photography. I remember that you get behind a camera sometimes, maybe as just a hobby. But tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I, I with all the travel, and I guess mentioning the conference thing is the uh, I, I got so sick of seeing these stock the stock photography in every single presentation. So um, I started just going out and taking photos of, of my my daily life. Uh, and when you travel a lot and when you're, when you're out and about, you see some really weird things. Um, <laughs> yes. you know, I, you know, I was, I was walking around LA and, and West Hollywood and granted, that's really all you have to say. Um, <laughs> so I, I see this great, this van that's nude male maids for $99. Like you see stuff like that and, and you're like that, that there's a story that I can work in there somewhere. And now I have this amazing camera and I'm taking pictures of this stuff. Um, another one is a great, my buddy runs an agency. I, I have this great shot of a mug. My buddy runs an agency and it's their, it's their team building day. He did this craft thing. Um, and one of his media people created this mug that says, nobody cares about your DSP, um, which I think is indicative of, uh, so I, I took a great photo of this worked into a presentation. But it's, I mean, it's stuff like that, that, you know, that I come across that I, I absolutely have to record. and. Uh, every single one of these things that I see, um, it just gets worked in somehow into a, a discussion, you know, and, and I just think like some of this stuff is just too funny to be real. Um, and, and this is the stuff that I run into all the time. I was out in the desert with my dog, uh, running around, uh, we were driving cross country, drove cross country with her and I was, uh, writing articles for a travel blog at the time. Uh, and I was just taking pictures of her and I, where, wherever we went. And I have this great shot of these three signs together. And there's, there's these two signs and the dog sitting right in between them, um, somewhere in New Mexico. And the, the first sign says, please exercise your pets in this area. And a foot away from that sign is another sign that says poisonous snakes and insects inhabit this area. And I have hundreds and hundreds of these photos that, if I'm trying to tell a story somewhere and I need to be up in front of people and, and talking about it, I maintain this huge library of screen captures of pictures I've taken that, you know, it just, you have to make fun of, of some of the crazy things that you run across uh, because otherwise what's the point? And this just makes for that much better storytelling. So I, maybe we can talk you into sending a few of those. We'll post them up with the podcast as well. Sure. <laughs> You've helped what I what I think are countless businesses set up a strategy for media buying programmatic. Kevin, the audience knows, the world knows that you're considered an authority on the process, interviewed all over media for what you do. So I'm going to bring up five practices from the draft OMCP standards for programmatic. It's still in draft right now. And of course, we appreciate your contributions to that. And I want to see what you have to say about them. So for our audience, I'm going to read them out loud first. And that I'll prompt you for each one as to what your thoughts are. So the five in order are when, when doing programmatic, the first one is make a map of what you know about your target audience. Number two, every message must be mapped to a persona and a behavior scenario. Number three, define media channels that apply to your messaging and market. Number four, implement 
retargeting early in your campaigns, and number five, test early in a campaign. So the, for the first one, Kevin, you know, we can now apply behavior, demographics, interests, and even actions taken on our properties for programmatic. And it's generally good practice to make a map of what you know about your target audience before you even start. In your experience, is that true? And what are some processes for planning that workout? So ma- making that map is, is in, a, in a perfect world, uh, yes, absolutely. Love it. Uh, eight days a week, that's exactly what you should be doing. Where I think a lot of clients get bogged down uh, in the weeds is that they, they're trying to figure out how to do this. Um, and the larger the company you're working with, the bigger the problems that, you're work- that you run into and the more personalities that you run into and the more um, uh, brand complications, as it were, you run into. So, and you, you can get, um, if you, if you look at a bigger company and I, I'll try not to pick on the airlines, but it really just boils my bacon yesterday <clears throat> sitting there listening to, cause I watched the whole, uh, congressional, um, uh, hearing yesterday where the airlines were grilled. Um, but let's, let's pick on American airlines for a second. Um, they have what they refer to as a product set. Um, and the product set, uh, is actually seats on a plane. Um, and they're trying to define audience segments for this product set, uh, and the likes and dislikes where it starts to get really complicated is you have the same product that carries a hundred different prices. And the prices vary according to the day of the week, the time of the day, the time from the uh, the time of departure. Uh, but it's it may or may not be the same person who's buying these things. So when you start to map out uh, exactly what uh, an audience segments looks like, an audience segment looks like, uh, the, the best advice I try to give clients is don't make it so complicated that you end up in the administrative quagmire known as I'm not sure why I can do why this is going to make sense or um, you now have so much data that you don't know what to do with it all try to keep it simple there are plenty of tools out there that help you do that um, one of the easiest and best is some of, you know, some of these audience matching tools that you see with Facebook and Google Google um, those are those are great ways to kind of to build a framework around your audience. Following on to that, in your book Taking Down Goliath, you teach all successful ad campaigns start by getting the right message to the right target. And since every message needs to be mapped to a persona and a behavior scenario, what are some of the best ways to do that? Well, I mean, this is this kind of goes back to very basic stuff of of uh, how well do you know your customer. Um, and which is spectacular because you should know your customer really well, but what you want to know is how, how well do I know the people who haven't bought things from me yet? Um, and, and how does that not the knowledge of my customer, how how, customer, how can I apply that knowledge to the people who haven't, uh, who don't know me yet? Um, and that's, that's the real challenge. And it's, that's the, the only way to really achieve that is to get inside your analytics, to get inside your data, uh, and and really look at the interactions that people are having uh, at scale with what you're offering them. Um, And 
you know, the, the, the best, the cheapest way to do that is to have a really good idea uh, of what that looks like and start testing. Um, you know, the, the old adage of, of test, test, and then retest is, is very, very true, and it's, it continues to be true today. Um, so why wouldn't you keep doing that uh, by virtue of the fact that you could change these things so quickly and optimize them so quickly? Um, there's, there's absolutely no reason that you can't start with a series of really good ideas uh, that, you, that, that haven't you know, stemmed from this ridiculous uh, overflow of data uh, and, and just go with what you know uh, to be true about your customer and, and go with what you know to be true about uh, the people that you want to be engaging with. Now, sometimes I know my teams and other teams have uh, used successfully some of the data just from AdWords. And we went and looked at, okay, which messages worked well for the audience that we got through AdWords? Can we apply that to our new programmatic campaigns? Do you think that that applies? Absolutely applies. Uh, and I think where people start to run into problems is when, when they start to uh, move away from common sense, which as we know, is a common best practice to stay away from common sense. Um, yeah, why not? I mean, just because, I mean, there, there's a couple things going on there. The first is you're in a directive intent environment with, with search. So somebody has already told you what they're interested in and you're just reacting to that. So it's a, it's a different scenario than, than generating awareness. Um, and by no means is that the only place you should be going. But if that's the best place uh, that you have to start, then of course start there. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of engagements, a lot of search people have started with, uh, and you know this too because you've been, you've, you've lived in that world. You start with uh, you start working uh, with a client engagement in search, and suddenly you're doing all their media buying and planning because you're really good at what you do. Um, you've grown that relationship with your client because you've you've built this this trust relationship with them. Um, but it's not just the trust relationship, it's that you've figured out how to use the knowledge from, any, from one campaign and apply it to another. And that's ultimately what people are trying to do across the board. Um, in, in plenty of instances, um, you know, we've taken search information and used it to build, help build other campaigns. Um, you know, and in recent years, taking a, a lot of the social data that's coming our way uh, and using that for awareness initiatives. Um, but you know, it's it's really funny how ten or fifteen years ago we had this horrible problem in the business where people were just addicted to the last click, um, and and the last click usually was paid search uh, that that generated revenue. Um, we see that now uh, with clients that ask questions like, um, "Hey, all that this let's just do the stuff that's working really really well." Uh, like, well, it's all working really really well. Uh, it works really well together, but no, no, let's just do the last click stuff. Um, you know, let's just do the retargeting. And then you have to sort of take a step back and explain that, that you know, you, you need to build the cookie pool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can't just keep working with people that you have now. So, um, yeah, you can, you can take cues from, from search. You can take cues from social media. I take tons of cues from uh, paid and unpaid media initiatives. Um, because it's it's a wonderful thing to have access to all this information, um, you know. The, the uh, <laughs> I was watching this thing this morning. Uh, the thing to remember, I guess, so I was watching this thing this morning. And somebody was asking, I can't remember who. Uh, why do you bother making the bed in the morning? You're just going to get back into it at night. 
so of course I searched for it and sure enough, there's a video from a Navy SEAL on Business Insider talking about why you should make your bed in the morning. And the reason that you should make your bed in the morning is it, it gives you something to do every day and an immediate sense of accomplishment that requires absolutely or little no effort. Um, that to me is a great <laughs> metaphor for getting started with some of these digital initiatives. Don't get caught in everything you have to do today. Do one thing, get it started, get it moving. Uh, and uh, once you have that motion, once you have that, that process moving, that's a great way to kick things off. Um, and you start off with a great sense of accomplishment. <laughs> in your articles, you teach that researching media channels is where you're going to find strengths and weaknesses. And so for the best practice that we have of defining media channels that apply to your messaging and your market, what are some of the ways we can define those for programmatic? So when you say define media channels, are you talking about selecting vendors? Are you talking about um, uh, where you should be positioning and buying and that sort of thing? Where we should, where we should be uh, buying our, our placements. Yeah, so there's, this is, I mean, I don't know if our approach is unique or not. Uh, we have, we do it a little bit, I, you know, it's always, you always sound like a pompous ass when you say, well, we do it differently. So uh, you, you, I use what's, what's called a bake-off approach, meaning that we'll, we'll look at multiple different channels, look at multiple vendors, uh, figure out a dollar amount that makes sense uh, across the various different channels, and test them out. Um, and what that allows us to do is to give an apples to apples comparison to, uh, to, to where these, these placement opportunities really exist. Um, and that seems to work really well. The, the challenge in that is, uh, figuring out exactly what dollar amount makes sense, um, and whether or not you're spreading yourself too thin. Um, but that's what, you know, that's why you work with really smart media people, uh, because they can figure that stuff out. Um, where I see clients failing in this is that they're perpetually vendor hopping. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a fine line, just like Stephen Wright said, there's a, there's a fine line between fishing and standing on the shore like an idiot. Uh, there's a fine line between a, a solid test or, uh, a multi-placement test uh, and uh, vendor hopping like an idiot. Um, because if you're doing the latter, you're not really collecting useful information, you're just going from one vendor to the next, um, and you're not really gonna be learning much. You mentioned earlier retargeting, and DPAs and what, Facebook Exchange, website custom audiences, they help us win back prospects who are wandering away, they help us cross-sell, they help us, well, frankly, increase purchase frequency. We know we need to implement retargeting early in our campaigns. You mentioned that earlier. What is some uh, advice to doing that right? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm uh, just like the airlines are testifying or, or appearing. I guess we're not testifying. It's not a trial. They're witnesses. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. They're like, they're, they're witnesses. Right. I, you know, just not to go completely off the reservation on this, but there was one, this, this New Jersey senator yesterday, um, um, not Senator, uh, Congressman. Uh, he said yesterday, you know, it just so, they're so ill-informed. And one of them said, I, and I kid you not, why, why are you making the seat smaller? Americans keep getting bigger. And then camera pans around to every airline head and they're like, what? Sir, we at Alaska Airlines are making bigger seats for our bigger people. You know, it's just the dumbest 
I'm sorry. What was the question? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to leave you hanging here, Kevin, and see how you're going to tie the airlines back into retargeting early in our campaigns. But uh, right. I'll, I'll, so I'll give you a prompt. Stop, <laughs> stop trying to wedge that ever bigger strategy into that smaller and smaller seat is where who's going to go with that. Yeah. Um, oh, my. Yeah. So so, so the pitfalls of, of retargeting. Um it, it really is the, the, the big butt in the small chair. Um, you, I, I'm lobbying for uh, better regulations, frequency capping, um, because <laughs> you really are. I mean, there's, there's at some point you're you're beating your your customer over the head with right. either something they already bought or that they've eliminated from their consideration set. And this is one of those things that. Um, if you just look at the data and, and you just look at, and it's not even last click, you can have complicated insane little funnels that show you, well, if, you know, <clears throat> and I love Cole Haan shoes, by the way. Um, I think if everybody would just shut up and start wearing Cole Haan, uh, zero grams, the world would be a better place, uh, because, uh, they're so comfortable. We'll try and provide a link here in the uh, transcript for that. Yeah, and, and, if, and if you click on that link, be prepared to see a lot of Cole Haan shoe ads exactly for the rest right. of your life. Well, I mean, I know they, they, they. I think there was an issue with frequency capping before. I, you know, I remember uh, back in the day with Market Motive, part of our um, ads, and I think we were using AdRoll at the time, and and it had Avinash's picture. Avinash Kaushik was one of our founders, and his photo drew. A lot of clicks and we had great conversion on that but um, the problem was is that Adroll, bless their hearts um, didn't control they, they had frequency capping but what they didn't control is how they showed up multiple times on a single page and so we started getting these screenshots and people were tweeting screenshots where Avinash's face was showing up nine times on a single page <laughs> <laughs> trying to pull this back but, but I think the, the real question here is is Typically, people try to do retargeting later because they think it's complex or it's difficult. Where do you plant the cookie? I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, build up your cookie base. I think the, the best practice that we're really trying to hone in here is to start retargeting early, early in your campaign. It's okay to start it early. Yes, if you are at an unholy uh, millions and millions of impression volume, um, sure, right away, start it, no problem. Um, but I, I think where people try to, it, it, it's, I, I think it's, it varies according to the size and scope of the buy and, and the overall structure of the media plan. So along those lines, a lot of advertisers are saying early performance data is one of the best signals you can use to optimize a campaign performance. Uh, what are some of the steps to add testing right out of the gate? So early results, how are we defining early results? The, the... In other words, instead of putting out a single uh, message or a single display, we're going to go out of the gate testing A and B in terms of our content. Okay. And, and how, would we, how would we categorize early results? Is in the first hour, the first minute, the first... Well, I think the idea is to get statistical significance before we make a decision. But I think the, the best practice here that is proposed for the standard is that when we go out with a campaign, we don't start with candidate A and run it for, you know, until it gets some kind of return. We actually go out with two candidates right out of the gate 
and start testing immediately. Yeah, I mean, as long as you built, you know, so this goes back to step one, but as long as you built your audience profiles correctly and structured your, your audience engagement correctly, uh, in, in practice, you can be going to a um, hundred different people, with the same uh, profile, or let's say, let's say argument, a uh, hundred thousand people um, with very clearly siloed into their audience categories and be testing 5,000 different creatives with them. Um, and in theory, that was, that would give you, um, that might not, it might not give you statistically significant information. Uh, but in practice, it might give you some really good information. Um, so, um, you know, theoretically, uh, a dandelion can, in, in theoretical physics, a dandelion can hold an elephant, uh, over a cliff. Uh, and practical knowledge tells us that's probably not going to be happening. So I'm a big fan of applying practical knowledge. Uh, if you have the ability to uh, scale creative, and there's plenty of tools out there and things like that, and I won't get into them because I don't want to endorse them, but there are plenty of ways to scale creative um, that, that will allow you to, give, to, to do these sorts of things. And I would say go out with, you know, if you can go out with 50, go with 50. Two's, two seems like a really low number to me, but the other thing I, I really caution people about is don't assign an arbitrary number to your, you know, to your initiative. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, folks like Avinash are, are uh, much better at, at figuring these things out in terms of what, you know, uh, statistically appropriate numbers are. Um, but I, I don't want people to, we see this happening now a lot, uh, where people are like, I, I don't have enough information. Yeah, you do. You've got a thousand times more information than the people who were doing this five years ago. So you do have enough information. You just don't want to make a decision if you don't know how to interpret it yet. Um, and that's, I mean, to, to me, that's the biggest problem because a disproportionately small number of people in this world uh, are, have the uh, aptitude to really understand uh, numbers the way they should and interpret them. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the chief marketing officers um, are really only interested in the latest sex and creative. Um, and, you know, when you have that, when you have, when you're making decisions entirely from that perspective, um, you end up with a Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad. Um, and, uh, you know, the other extreme is where you get absolutely nothing done because you're sitting around trying to analyze the data. Um, and then, you know, you have situations that, uh, <clears throat> you know, that, that happened recently with, uh, with Google and, and the scandal of ads appearing in bad places. You know, the, the, the reality is, and, and you know, the, the, the story broke, and I think that was the, the I saw you in, at SMX. Um, what's that? Uh, God, it's like three or four weeks now, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that morning I was sitting with uh, a, a writer from the Wall Street Journal and I was trying to explain to him, you know, because it, it's sort of, it, it's incumbent upon the, the practitioners, I think, in the space, uh, e.g. Uh, you and me, uh, to sort of explain to the, to the, 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 the mass-consuming press that uh, you're not reporting this correctly. Um, and they weren't. They weren't reporting it correctly. Um, they were, they were, taking mass hysteria to a whole new level with a load of nonsense. So, uh, I'm, and I'm sitting there trying to explain this to one of the guys in the journal and I was speaking on background. Uh, so I, you know, I didn't want to be quoted, 
but I mean, like you, you have to understand that this uh, there's a couple things going on here. The first is the number of actual ads that would appear um, against uh, this, this inventory is so infinitesimally small that it was hard to explain to an average person. It's hard for them to understand how small that number is. Uh, somewhere in the, in, in the middle of we're only looking at data and we're making only gut decisions lies uh, the, the rationale for building a solid campaign. So I guess that's a very long-winded version of, of don't just assign an arbitrary number. Um, and I realize it's helpful to just, somebody is going to at the end of the day, well, what's the number? Uh, don't just assign an arbitrary number. Um, you know, go with something that you're comfortable with. That wraps up the, the comments on best practices. I wanted to ask you or invite you to freeform a little bit in terms of um, are, what are other, you know, Kevin's tips for or general guidelines for what we should practice uh, when we approach programmatic buying? All right. So when you buy your airline ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I sense the subtext here. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think um, when, you, when, you're, when you're launching these initiatives, um, the biggest mistake I see people making uh, is, is just getting lost in forever trying to have the best, newest thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I understand that the, the culture that this comes from and the culture that it comes from uh, is, is the senior marketing person or the, or the CMO uh, that we're currently in power. Uh, and I spend an awful lot of time with these folks, so I'm allowed to, to, to poke fun occasionally uh, in good humor. But, uh, you know, they, they want the, 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 the best, the greatest thing, the new thing. Um, and, and it's natural to want that. And it's natural to uh, be in pursuit of that. Uh, and you should be in pursuit of that. Where I see people, and it's, it's probably in the interest of shareholders, it's probably in the interest of uh, the, the people in, in, who are running the marketing initiatives who, on the client side, uh, their bonuses and their performance is tied to uh, how well they do uh, in, in how well, the, how well their, their marketing does, how well, how much money it generates. So all of these things are tied together where the advice that I continually give them is that it have strategy. And that's one of the reasons that one of the driving forces of, of spending years wanting to, to do this book and, and doing research about, you know, how do you write a good strategy book? Um, build a strategy around it and, and don't spend your, your, your every day uh, chasing your tail, trying to find the, the next best thing. Um, there's a way to do that. Um, and there's a, there's an appropriate timeline for doing that so that you're not, and, and it's different for everyone. It's really contingent upon the resources that you have available to you. Um, but if you're constantly chasing down the next thing, your, your entire, and, and I've just I'm helping a client through this now, um, and, and it's not a fun process, um, but they're, <clears throat> they're constantly working on implementations. They're constantly onboarding new stuff. Um, and it's 80% of it is, is redundant. Um, 
and you have to be, uh, you know, that if you're watching Silicon Valley and, and you're enjoying that, that show, I mean, I absolutely adore it because so much and so much of it is true. Um, companies that you start working with today pivot and they're doing something else tomorrow. Uh, and you have to, when you're building a strategy around who you're partnering with and the tools that you're using, you have to account for that. Um, so you always need a backup plan. But if you're constantly changing vendors and you're constantly onboarding new things and a lot of it's redundant, um, you're not really accomplishing anything. Um, there's a lot of activity, but you're not really doing anything good for your brand, your customers, uh, or your own mental health, I think, in a lot of instances, uh, because you're, you're just perpetually doing it. So what we're, uh, in a lot of instances, and it's a difficult conversation to have, uh, and I might be wealthier if I could somehow magically uh, abandon logic reason and just take people's money, but I can't do that. Um, um, if I do that, I just go work for a holding company. <laughs> Ooh, slam! <laughs> oh, goodness yeah. gracious. Hey, here's your pitch team, all the senior people in the room. They're gone. We won the business. All right, these are all the 22 uh, year old VPs that we just appointed. That's the people who are actually going to work on your business. Anyway. I think people don't realize the experience that you have when you're saying these things. You've, you've seen it, you've been there. Been there, done that. Uh, you know, it's it's well. I always joke around, like you know. So I mean, it's just really interesting to me to, to to start to have the conversation. Like, look, all right, well, let's let's look at an annual plan. I know it's blasphemy to think about an annual plan, um, and it doesn't fit with the uh, perpetual pivot model uh, that we exist in. But we need to have time to collect information. We need to have time to build a successful strategy. And if we're perpetually implementing the technology du jour, um, all that does is interrupt the process. All that does is interrupt what we're trying to accomplish. So let's roadmap. I love that word. Let's roadmap how we're going to do this, either uh, annually, uh, every six months, um, the depth at which we want to have a very close look at what's available and what's out there and what people are using so that we don't have, you know, uh, and the, you know, it's not his or her fault. CMO is popping into the, the, your office going, Hey, we need this because, uh, well, he's doing that because the CEO saw it on the, the morning news or read it in advertising age. So he sticks his head into the, the CMO's office and, she goes down to the uh, the VP's office and uh, and says, "We need this." And before you know it, the uh, you know twenty two year old intern is making decisions about technology every other day and uh, looking for a different career um, because she thinks that that's how the world works and, and shouldn't. Um, and and nothing's really getting accomplished um, other than it, you look really busy because you're constantly onboarding new stuff. Um, so, <laughs> like, <laughs> inviting me to freestyle is like inviting Robin Williams to just go off. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, I mean, we're gleaning points from this. I mean, the experience and scenarios you're painting are very real, and, and there is, 
there is a lot of this thrashing around where somebody goes and they hear something and and you know even your restraint on naming tools is actually appreciated here because the audience you know who are trying to implement this oh why didn't Kevin name any tools well it's because sometimes somebody comes up with this and it implies that we can now hire folks who studied you know social services God bless them to come in and run our campaigns uh, because the tool will take care of everything and that's where the confusion happens and without a strategic plan I, I think you're right on so it, it's useful and it's appreciated uh, yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so sage wisdom from Kevin Ride. thank you Kevin for this I know that we've taken enough of your time today for our listeners check out Kevin's book Taking Down Goliath on Amazon and follow him on Twitter at Kevin M. Ryan, and of course, reach out to Kevin's team at his Motivity Marketing to see if he can help you out with some of your digital marketing and media strategy for your brand. I'm your host, Michael Stebbins, and you've been listening to the OMCP Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast. OMCP maintains the certification standards for the online marketing industry in cooperation with industry leaders just like Kevin. Join us inside of OMCP to maintain your certification, get special offers, and engage with other certified professionals, universities, and training programs that teach to OMCP standards. So we'll see you inside of OMCP as a certified professional where we'll be learning and improving our professional careers and teams together.